1: Hey guys! Hey guys! Welcome back to another episode of the Selfie Show, where
2: we are bringing the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of the Selfie Show. I am a
1: nurse, blogger, and podcaster, and I am Sam. I'm a nurse, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of the Selfie Show. Today we're off the clock, but with a very heavy episode. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Roe v. Wade was just overturned. Very timely. Lots of opinions on it. Yeah. Lots of emotions. But we are going to actually sit down with uh, Doctor E. Joanna Isil. She has her PhD in sociology, and really get into just how this impacts healthcare. Absolutely, social in- and social inequalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- we're just.
2: This is a really timely episode, and I just think it's really important for us to talk about, especially in healthcare, because this is affecting us directly. Um, and this is a good one. It's heavy, but I actually think ugh, I learned a lot today too. Mm-hmm. I have to say like just at the top of the, like, I just think today is such a great conversation. Like it's, you know, I think regardless, open mind, we're all here for this very selfie approved energy. We are here for that. Um, and that's actually going to stem into our unpopular opinion of the week. Tori has an unpopular
1: opinion. I do. That I agree with, but let's yeah. Hear
2: it. And it's not anything I haven't talked about, but I will say this. I personally pop your opinion, personal belief systems have no place in healthcare or as a practicing healthcare provider. Um, so this last week, obviously, you know, Sam and I are very vocal about how we feel about the Roe v. Wade turnover. Like it's where we've been talking about it. Um, and I had gotten quite a few DMs from either fellow NICU nurses or people saying, how can you believe this? Or how can you stand behind this? as a NICU nurse. And it's so funny to me because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, how are you saying that when my whole job is to care for patients, regardless of belief system, culture, ethnicity, background? I just, to me, it is completely irrelevant what I believe in. Amen. Say it one more time. It is completely irrelevant what I believe in, you know, I mean, okay, you guys, we take care of the scope of, of patients. It isn't this picture perfect thing. We take care of drug addicts, murderers, child abuse, people who, you know, rapists. We, there's the, the list of things and of people's backgrounds
1: and situations is insane. I hate some of the people that I've had to interact with, but it has not impacted my care for them or their children
2: i can disagree with my patient all day you know and it's ironic because you know i get it like we're as a nicu nurse we're caring for the most you know vulnerable patient after this you know potential situation but i'm like my in in my humble opinion i'm also potentially a patient Mm -hmm. and if i needed to make that decision for myself I would want the freedom to make that decision that this is something that I need in my life or I don't, you know, it's, I want the autonomy and the freedom to choose that for myself. Mm
1: -hmm. I also think, you know, when this, when the leaked opinion kind of came out a few months ago before we actually, they did go ahead and overturn the ruling. I remember posting about it and having someone DM me and say that, I should be ashamed to be a NICU nurse and be pro-choice. <laughs> and I'm so like, right. <sighs> that's, I, if you let your political or religious opinions affect your responsibility as a healthcare provider, you shouldn't be working in healthcare.
2: Nope. And I be- I really believe this. Everyone has a basic human right to decide what is right for them And whether or not we agree with it, whatever the case may be, it's not our decision as healthcare providers to judge someone or to limit access to care because of that belief system. You know, and say what you will, and we're going to get into it today, but I just think this is a huge setback for us. Oh, and fun fact, one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. The majority of women who receive abortions, that's 23 to 25% do it because the timing is wrong or they can't financially provide for a child. Not to mention all the other reasons that we're going to get into today of why women, especially in our society today, choose to have an abortion, whatever the case may be. And we're going to get into a lot of that today. But I just, I don't think belief systems Mm -hmm. at all, you know, and we take oaths, we take oaths to do no harm, to care for our patient, to To really do the best for the person that is sitting in front of us. Um, I feel for all the OBs out there, especially ones in states who this is really going to affect. I also feel bad for the OBs who are practicing in other states that are going to have this offload of patients that are going to have this potential issue or be seeking care in other states. Because care is limited, which is so crazy because like this whole thing, like it's freedom, you choose what you want for your body or for yourself or for your life it's just ironic to me that like I don't know mm. it's a tough tough day we had to talk <laughs> about it obviously and today's guest you guys she is phenomenal but I don't know belief systems don't believe it I don't think they belong here in healthcare. you know point blank
1: Boom. Boom, baby. So today we do have Dr. Joanna Isol. She is a visiting assistant professor at Rollins College in Florida. She earned her PhD in sociology in 2014 from UCF. She specializes in social inequalities and actually teaches a course on healthcare inequalities, which is very interesting to Tori and I. She's a mom of two, powerlifter for being 49, has an incredible ass. I will just give her those props
2: because. Go girl. Dang girl
1: does not look like it. We love that for her. Uh,
2: today we're getting spicy and we're really deep diving into medical sociology, autonomy, human rights, and intersections with healthcare. Access to timely, affordable, respectful reproductive care, and also the trickle-down effect of what this means. With the overturn of Roe v. Wade, we get into credible research and evidence-based practice, of course. And we're just going to have a girl and girl moment today. We're going to get into it. We're very excited for this episode, and um, you know, obviously, a heavy topic, but definitely something that Sam and I we wanted to talk about. Uh, it's important for all of us to be talking about, especially for all of us here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love you guys, our selfie community. We're bringing all the selfie energy. So without further ado, let's get into it with Dr. Joanna. We're going to hit this off really fun and spicy. What is your unpopular opinion, Miss Joanna?
3: My unpopular opinion is that pickles are the devil's tool. Pickles are disgusting. And they should be wiped (laughs) off the face of the planet.
1: Attacked. Attacked. What about pickle juice? Why? Why? I wanted to get, I don't know. I wanted to get this vodka cocktail this weekend or weekend when I was in Vegas for work and it had pickle juice in it. And I was so confused. Picklebacks. Picklebacks. Tori drinks Bloody Marys Mm. though. Hey, I'm
3: I'm okay with pickle. I love Bloody Marys, but I can't do pickle juice. Oh. So I don't like yeah. pickled
1: anything though. Who looked at like fresh food and said, "You know what we should do is make this get all soggy and wrinkly <laughs> and chewy and put it in a jar forever." True. Delicious. I mean, because you can pickle you can. anything, like a fucking yeah. green bean. Mm-hmm. Like, but why? See, delicious, I will. I will
3: right? take. I will eat kimchi. I will have uh, pickled onions mm-hmm. for like a, in a taco or something. I'm all down for that. But not yeah, leave no. the cucumbers alone. Mm-hmm. Just slice me up some cucumbers. Put some. T- whatever that is uh some sort of spice on it cayenne pepper on it and i'm happy that's my pickling
1: i'm of the opinion of if you can
3: pickle it, uh. pickle it. i'm of the opinion that
1: <laughs> nothing should there you be go. pickled, and there's no reason why why are you ruining something that's already <laughs> good as is
3: agreed agreed mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. okay so we need we need the full
2: backstory here i we need all the juice on everything because you are fascinating and we are
3: so pumped. Thank you. So my story is a little bit different, uh, full of twists and turns. I got stories on stories. That happens when you're 49, like it happens. Um, So lots of lived experiences. So I grew up in Southern California, actually, and uh, attended University of California, Santa Barbara. Um, I got married really young at 23. And then I ended up moving up north to finish my last few semesters at uh, California Davis, which is the most boring school ever in Northern California. I called it Born to be Mild. It was super boring, especially compared to like Isla Vista and Santa Barbara and all the politics and all the craziness there. Um, so I lived in Napa Valley for six years. I drank all the wine. Um, we partied pretty mm-hmm. well. You know, we didn't have kids. We were just newly married and stuff. So enjoyed my life immensely up there. And then, um, so I graduated high. Let's see. I was still in school. It took me quite a while to finish school. Cause it just really wasn't a big priority for me to be honest. Like I like doing other things. So I kind of part-timed it for a while. I'm huge on this community college thing. Cause you can get stuff done for cheap. Um, then we spent five months traveling through Southeast Asia in 1999 and 2000, um, with my hubby chasing elephants, because that's what he did. He worked with elephants. So that kind of, Had us globe trotting a bit, and uh, we generally just had all kinds of adventures out there. So, after six years of marriage, we started a family, uh, jumped around to Africa, and lived in Europe for a spell. I ultimately decided to go back for my master's um, ten years after my bachelor's, and that happened because I was on a train in India, and I kind of saw. You know, there's a lot of armchair sociology that goes on where people who have never traveled anywhere are talking about inequalities and they're quite different when you are living amongst them and you're seeing them. So I ended up writing my, my master's. Um, you kind of write your backstory on why you want to go get your master's and why you want in the program. It was about like the train tracks and what I was seeing in India. So um, after I finished that, I was doing this with two kids. So I would kind of, my son would go to pre-K and I would bust out three hours of studying while my daughter was in like, you know, first grade or something. So then I figured, well, why not go for the PhD? Why I'm at it, which is completely insane. And I do not recommend it to anybody. It is just (laughs) awful. It's like running some, I used to do triathlons back in the day before I picked up powerlifting and with all that activity that you do you you swim bike you run and i was telling my dad like i'm so done with this phd program i can't do it i'm going to quit he's like no you're on the run you're on the run i go yeah but the course is on fire there's a bunch of hoops that they keep moving around like it was just terrible so anyhow phd is really rough so i kudos anybody who actually goes that far um then I ended up teaching once I got that degree in 2014, I taught part-time at universities. And then in 2017, my husband got a random cold, which became multiple organ failure. And within two days he was on ECMO and was the sickest person in the CCU. His ejection fracturing was like 10. Um, his Billy Rubin was 50. He was like the Cheeto color of Trump. Um, months in a coma. And then five months after we battled and battled, he died of three types of sepsis. So my focus shifted then to the kids and paying bills, but I've worked myself back to teaching at university. And that's really kind of where I'm happy. I'm happy teaching. I'm happy fucking with young minds, to be honest. But yeah, that's like uh, my story in a nutshell. How did you and Sam connect? I'm curious. I want the backstory on this.
1: <laughs> I know it's like my IG. Yeah. that I know. Uh,
3: and I left Vegas. In I New got life. to Vegas the day she left the last trip. So we're like, fuck. We just yes. keep missing each other.
1: I literally flew home Sunday, <laughs> and I got in Sunday, got in Sunday yeah. Yeah. night.
3: We both followed at you look like a man, which was a fantastic page. And Sam, I think, I think you were posted. As one of the victims of misogynistic, sexist crap. Yeah, I... And I I, chimed in.
1: I'm a target, (laughs) always. I'm, like, always getting shit on.
3: I jumped in, you know, to defend her honor and just thought she was a cool, badass bitch, and we kind of connected. I
1: think you messaged me even once. I think so. You, like, messaged me, and you were like, don't give them the fuel, like, they want the attention, like negative attention to that Yeah, is better no, than attention. no attention at all. And you gave me that good advice. And I was like, that's so true. I mean, that's online. parenting
3: 101,
1: they're, they're, honestly. And these people are acting like
3: children, so you might as well treat them like children. So any attention is good attention mm-hmm. for them. And so sometimes you just have to not feed the trolls. But you know me on You Look Like Man. I love to, to fuck with people in the trolls. So, you know, I think we got along well because we call out stuff that we see. <laughs> Yeah we,
1: yeah, we did Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah was always, it was always fun. The
3: I love yeah, it's fun too. when you have somebody who's kind of like in it with you. So then when the little boys come running and they start talking all kinds of crap, you you don't feel like you're alone. So that was always really kind of a nice thing to have with Sam.
1: I feel like I'm always drawn to like strong women yeah. on the Internet, too. that. Yep yeah like outspoken this is the good of social vocal. media this yeah. is what I
2: love this, this is, it a piece is of social media that I really love and I know there's a lot of shit on yeah. social media but I'm like I this is why we literally love this just for these moments I'm like yep. this is awesome yeah we
1: always say social media is a tool and it's up to you how you use it I surround myself with people like you who I feel empower me to be a better person who challenge mm-hmm. the way I think in some regards and I put positive influences in my social media space. So I get Mm -hmm. where it could easily be a negative thing or bad for self-esteem and stuff. But that's where it's just, you have to be really, mindful of the people you surround yourself with.
3: Yeah. And I mean, you have an open platform, you know, I've got this itty bitty private little account and I really do curate it to surround myself with people who I love and who love me. And I haven't met most of them, but like they bring positivity and like a good outlook to my life. They call me on my bullshit. They make me expand my mind. And so I'm always like kind of looking for a good way to curate my social media and just, I don't get a lot of the, I get some of the crazy stuff in the DMs because it's just in my request folder. It's not like they actually have access to me because my account is private. Whereas you two, you've got other platforms that you need to kind of feed off of. So you're going to get exposed to a lot more of the crap and the dingy side of Instagram that I don't get.
1: It's out there, but you know, I feel like we we just filter, filter, filter. filter. Yeah. Yeah. We love that for us. So, sociology okay i'm gonna just tell a quick little backstory the first class i took at junior college the first day of college ever was my sociology 101 class and i really am still traumatized because we watched this video on female (laughs) circumcision and i didn't know that existed It never came up in my 18 years of private (laughs) school education. And then I was traumatized and then, I mean, it was in a good way, but then I became, I didn't know sociology even really existed again until I started Fullerton college and took that first class. And then we got into all these other avenues and I was like, wow, this is like really interesting stuff. So like, why, what got you even into sociology? What, what is sociology?
3: So it's funny that you mentioned female circumcision. That is what my master's for my master's Mm. degree. That was my thesis. My thesis was female genital circumcision. So I know way more than anybody probably should know about the subject. It's it's awful, but I use that. Yeah, yeah, we can call it whatever you want to call it, whatever makes you happy. But but I go back and forth between the two. So anyhow, um, my undergrad was in interdisciplinary studies because I was kind of all over the board. I liked environmental science. I liked kind of, since my husband was training elephants, I was into the human elephant conflict side of it. Like why in places that have elephants, how can we negate uh, the human elephant conflict? So that kind of got me started in on that side. So he'd work with like the biology side and I'd be working with like the social cultural side. So kind of that seam rolled into my master's program and going into the sociology department because university of central Florida did not have an interdisciplinary studies program that excited me. So I kind of just went in the sociology direction, but sociology generally speaking um, is the study of human social relationships and the institutions that we kind of exist in. So the subject matter ranges from, Crime to religion, from family to state to race, class, gender, sexuality, um, common culture, social change, social stability. It's really just like how do we actually understand human action and consciousness as they kind of exist and shape and are shaped by um, our social structures, right? So when we're talking about today's episode and we're talking about Roe and the law and how that shapes our lived experience – clearly this is like sociology for sure.
2: Okay. And then taking that like a step further, because what I think is interesting is you touch on on, and speak on and teach about medical sociology. So I'm curious about that. Just sort of like a little sum up of that and deep dive into that situation.
3: So what was really interesting in 2014, uh, the university said, Hey, we want you to teach medical sociology. And I thought, okay, uh, don't know what that is. Haven't taught it before. This should be interesting. So as I started doing my research, I realized, oh my God, this is just exactly your thing. It's social inequalities. So I, when, I, when I came to the class, I, I created it as an inequalities course. Looked at the difference between access for class, uh, race, sexuality, ability, Right. My first question in my class was, does everyone have equal access to healthcare and to medicine? And the answer was no, right? So kind of started from there. And then I realized it ended up being my favorite class to teach. And I'm super excited that I get to teach it again this coming semester in the fall. Um, And I haven't taught it since 2014. And I feel like I've learned so much more. So I'm able to roll more into my class talking about neurodivergence, talking about ability versus disability, um more than just your basic when i talk about inequalities it's almost always race class gender sexuality those are kind of like our main tenets that we touch on but there's a ton more you know different systems of oppression that we need to consider so i end up i really do end up teaching everything as kind of an inequalities course and that's what i did with medical sociology and i tend to use a lot of film there's a lot of research behind using different kinds of media platforms, especially with younger generations whose attention span might not be super curated to, let me just read this chapter, this very dry, potentially dry theoretical chapter. I use film so that they can see kind of a real world application of the theories that we're talking about and kind of find the sociology in film. So whether it was the business of being born, unnatural causes, Um, health and sickness in America, like there's so many movies and documentaries that I've used over the courses that I teach. And the feedback I get is like, oh, my God, it was like my aha moment. I see the theory that you were lecturing on. And now I can kind of identify it and understand it more completely with the use of film.
1: I mean, sometimes it doesn't seem real until you see some like if you read it in a book, you don't have that personal connection to it. Yeah.
3: They're just people you're talking about. They're not like people that look like you or people that think like you. They're just kind of like these nameless, faceless people. So I do really like kind of making it real for them. And the feedback is great. They tend to really, really get it. So medical sociology just ended up being kind of, I think you could talk even in my, like my race and social media class, we end up talking about healthcare. You know, that comes up everywhere in all of my classes. I teach social problems. Healthcare is going to come up there too. So the idea that we do need to understand how, and I listened to your podcast with Dr. James Simmons and how awful our healthcare system is and how flawed it is. And I was just like, yes, I'm just listening going, yes, yes, yes. Like he was so spot on. There's so much. And you guys have such a platform with people who are just getting into the field. So I think there's a lot for them to learn. And I don't know if, you know, if they want to learn about it.
1: As a college nursing professor, it's not in the curriculum. And I taught pediatrics, you know what I'm saying? And it's like we are serving children of all, like, Classes, races, religions, mm-hmm. sexuality, yeah. especially even gender identity stuff is yeah, I see a lot of people in healthcare struggling with children dealing with that. And it's mm-hmm. I don't know, a medical education for med school and nursing school, and I'm assuming other disciplines as well is very much like even whitewashed for how you do a physical assessment on a patient. Well, and I'll Mm -hmm. say this too,
2: you know, all of us who are getting into the medical field, you know, you're doing it truly because you're drawn to the idea of helping human Mm -hmm. existence. And the interesting part about it is a lot of the things that, you know, we're going to talk about even today are things that I didn't even really understand when I started as a nurse at all. And you don't get it until it's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're seeing it and you're like, wow. And the issue in healthcare is we can't share, you know, all these things that we're seeing. But it's, mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for this and for the things that you are doing and I hope that this starts becoming more of a of a conversation because these are things that we face on the daily you know these inequalities you know we're going to get into some of the fun stuff but it's really hard because we can't share it and then so this is why I love you know like all these documentaries like I love documentaries I'm like yes let's deep dive into this and like explain it and see it and like put a face to the issues that we're seeing I mean the amount of things that Sam and I have seen over our combined what 18 or 19 years as nurses is would blow people's minds yeah and just oh, people I'm don't sure. understand. You like, know, once
1: you think you've seen no. it all, something else happens and Absolutely. you're like, well, shit. Yep. Um, one of the things that I didn't even know, or as a term I didn't even know existed until I kind of got into sociology classes is even the word um, intersectionality, like what that even Means or what's the concept of intersectionality? All right, you know what's got me feeling good? Hmm. Ritual vitamins, baby. Let's love them. So obsessed <laughs> with this new
2: partner. Get your ritual on, you guys. We are so thrilled to be partnered with Ritual as
1: we've been using these products, as you guys know, for over a year. And here's why we love Ritual. They're scientists sifted through thousands of research studies to determine what nutrients they want to include in their products. And you can even, they're so transparent. Go on their website, they make the studies available.
2: They are all about a food-first approach to nutrient intake and believe a multivitamin should only help fill the gaps in your diet. That's why you only find nine nutrients in their essential for women, 10 in essential for men, and 12 in their essential for
1: prenatal. None of that shady extra additives. They are all non-GMO ingredients. They're vegan. They have delayed release capsules. So you help deliver the nutrients straight to the small intestine, better absorption, can eat them on an empty stomach because you know I'm living off that coffee and no breakfast life over <laughs> we here. We for you. Yep. They
2: are easy to start, easy to cancel, free shipping, and you can control your delivery date. We love
1: that for us. Change it up. Absolutely. Easy cancellation at any time, 30-day money-back guarantee. Freaking obsessed.
2: Absolutely. Healthy habits start here. Head over to ritual.com and use the code selfie, C-E-L-L-F-I-E dash A-M-B and get 15% off of your first order. Again, that's ritual.com, code selfie, C-E-L-L-F-I-E dash A-M-B and get that 15% off.
3: Love that for you. Perfection. Yeah. Intersectionality. I can find this in early feminist writing. From like the late 1800s, but it really, those women were not getting credit, the credit they deserve for writing in in that time and age because sociology was dominated by white men as was most other professions and academic studies. So in 1989, um, legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw, who also is the one woman who kind of helped created CRT, uh, critical race theory, Um, she coined the term intersectionality. And basically, in like an easy way to understand it, it describes how systems of oppression overlap, right? So if you are a black woman, you are black and you are a woman, right? So you have multiple identity categories. You have this idea that we have to embrace a wide variety of people. And Crenshaw began with black women whose oppression couldn't be um, encompassed Exclusively was saying, okay, they are facing racism or sexism. It was framed for so many years as like an either or thing. Patricia Collins kind of continues this. She's a really amazing author that I use a lot in my classes. And she asks us basically to reconceptualize race, class, and gender as these interlocking systems of oppression. And she has something called the matrix of domination, which I always think is really kind of amazing because if you think of it as a matrix and you have these additive models of oppression, which are really essentially rooted in masculine Eurocentric thought, right? So they came up with this idea that we cannot just look at social issues from one kind of like level when multiple things are creating the problem. So when we dig into Roe v. Wade and who it's affecting, those matrices of domination come into play again. So I think for nursing students to realize, you know, or anybody in the medical profession, to kind of look at their patient and at least wonder, huh, I wonder what their matrix of domination looks like, right? What are the axes of oppression that they deal with? If you are a white woman who is you know, doing well enough to do the things that we like to do with our lives, right? Like I was listening to your other podcast, well enough to get your titties pierced, you know, <laughs> get your Botox, we enjoy our lives, we get our facials, like we we get to do these things, right? Acknowledging your privilege that you are in a different place on that matrix of domination yeah. and oppression is kind of a key thing. So intersectionality, it's hard to study because we like to look at kind of one thing at a time. It's it's neater that way. For like, okay, well, let's look at, um, you know, abortion rates by class, by gender, by race, right? Like we can we can look at things in neat little boxes. It gets a little messy when we start going. Okay, we've got multiple variables here to consider, and so sociology is messy. And intersectionality, without it, I just think you're just spinning your wheels, to be honest. If you can't acknowledge all those all those levels of oppression working in conjunction with each other. If you don't have the ability to do that, I think you're missing so much of the problem.
2: It sounds like what you're saying. And I think this is like literally spot on. It sounds like what you're saying is basically the idea of being self-aware. Are we self-aware and are we able oh, so to hard. Right. It's like, I think that's a big piece of it. And it's so interesting that you say that because I can think on in my personal experience working bedside of moments where I'm like, I don't understand this. But then you start asking questions and you start realizing with the patient, you know, there's there's a lot there's a deeper, deeper thing here. And that may not be my lived experience, but that's their lived experience. And I need to be open and
3: understanding of that. Yeah, I think there's there's self-awareness and there's self-reflection and you kind of have to have both right one is one isn't enough and i think one of the things that i try and drill into students heads is sociology is not about your lived experience but it's about patterns in society right so social patterns that might not have been your lived experience maybe you've never experienced racism sexism homophobia right maybe maybe you're gay White, gay, middle class, and everybody that you lived with, you lived in a progressive, liberal area, and they never gave you a hard time, Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't mean that homophobia doesn't exist, right? Just because you haven't experienced it. So I think we really like to go on. We love our own stories, and we love our own lived experiences, but we have to kind of stop relying on them if we want to self-reflect and grow. Yeah.
1: I can say, I feel like Tori and I have grown so much in those regards as a nurse because I feel like we both lacked that as new nurses. Yeah, and, sure. you know, that was over a decade ago. So much has happened, I think, in our country in the last 10 years, in healthcare in the last 10 years. But I think it takes a lot as a provider to be able to sit back and grow in general or be yeah. open to that and understanding that what you might have learned and thought 10 years ago isn't helping push the needle forward
2: yeah push the needle forward
1: yeah yeah absolutely which i mean it really kind of brings us to a head today because we're sitting here it's a monday after this past friday when roe v wade was overturned i think it kind of i think we all saw it coming we were all worried it was going to happen but that there was that like deep down part of me where i was like but it it's not gonna actually happen that's crazy right and wrong <laughs> like so wrong i'm sh- i'm in disbelief yeah. still
3: i really thought like okay it's gonna it's this is where we're going and i'm prepared for it and on friday i realized how wrong i was mm-hmm. i was not prepared at all mm-hmm. i was i was shook and i was so feeling really really fucking hopeless to be honest because it's just i cannot believe it mm-hmm. i just cannot 50 years and you woke up with rights they you, you know you no longer had so it almost you know it came out the year i was born so like that's ridiculous to me to see that overturned so i still have hope that it, maybe it could get codified in at the federal level. But again, we don't have enough support for that, even though we run Congress and the House and all that stuff. I just I'm I'm kind of still reeling, I think.
2: I think I want to actually because this whole conversation is just, you know, this is very relevant to all of us, especially in healthcare, Right. But I really want to go back to this because I think this is like kind of the root of the conversation. And, you know, maybe to understand it more fully, let's talk about bodily autonomy, just sort of in general. And from your perspective, like bringing in
3: some key ideas on on that and understanding. So what's interesting about our society in general is that we very much um, treasure and kind of like find bodily autonomy important right? We don't make people donate blood against their will. Uh, If you are a bone marrow match, you are not forced to give that marrow to somebody who might die otherwise. Um, You have to donate your organs while you're alive. You have to have agreed to that. And we don't force you to do that when you die. Like Even a dead body cannot be used against its will to save another life. Um, We had so much debate over the COVID years for the last few years, my body, my choice about, you know, federal mandates for vaccines. Um, We know that if you want to go into nursing, if you want to go into the military, if you want to go into public schools, you agree to take certain vaccines, right? That's still not a federal mandate. You don't have to go to school. A lot of people choose to homeschool their kids because they don't want to have their kids get certain vaccines, right? Not just COVID. But in general, we have a very long history of finding bodily autonomy important. But somehow, we don't carry that over to fetuses. And, you know, we can debate what a life is, but we do use in in the medical profession, embryo, fetus, right? We use a certain set of terms. We don't call it a child. We don't call it a baby, right? Until it's born. So the fact that somehow bodily autonomy is not something that we consistently value, we can explain that in sociology a few different ways, but basically it's the symbolism behind what a fetus is and it's how we define that, right? So if you're going to define it as a child, then terminating that fetus is seen as what a lot of people are throwing around the word murder and, you know, abortions murder and it's killing a baby and all those things, right? If you don't see it as a viable human being, then it's a clump of cells, right? But either way, when you get down to it no matter what you think of it, bodily autonomy is still something that we socially value. We've just made an exemption for pro-life people to to not worry about that. And if you confront them with the idea that hey, you want bodily autonomy here, though, right? Well, yeah, yeah, but that's not affecting anybody. Well, we can all argue that smallpox is a public health crisis, right? And that you are affecting other people if you don't get that. But those people would also say, I don't think there should be a federal mandate banning, you know, banning that. So uh, it, it's one of those heartbreaking kind of hypocrisies yes. that we see a ton of.
1: I mean, I think we've seen it firsthand working as nurses with, you know, especially coming from a children's hospital where certain religious things have made it to not be allowed to receive certain, whether it's cancer treatments or blood transfusions, like you mentioned, and Mm -hmm. things like that. And those situations even go to court, but bodily autonomy. And I've seen a lot of organ donations and everything like that.
2: Like just thinking about this in general, what's so interesting to me is at the root of this You know, I just think we take oaths as healthcare providers to care for our patients no matter the situation, no matter your age, your gender, your race, your ethnicity, whatever it is, we are caring for you, the human being. And it's so interesting because to me, what just happened is OBGYNs now are now limited to what they can provide and how they can support their patients in their reproductive rights. And it's so interesting because, you know, we've worked in the NICU. We work in the one area that is, you know, saves lives at the most vulnerable after that. And it's interesting because I've gotten a lot of heat for this. Because as a NICU nurse, I'm very, very much pro-choice. And the reason for that is because I'm also a patient, right? So it's like if I was in a situation where I became pregnant with a child with a congenital anomaly, a something where they are not compatible with life, where it is risking my life because of an ectopic pregnancy, whatever it is. I want the right to choose that with my provider and every patient should have that right to make that decision privately with their provider. I just it's a really weird concept to me that you know, we're
1: basing this on belief, on well, a belief. Well, I system. think you kind of hit the nail on the head too when you said Like we can argue and disagree about what, when life begins. Does life begin at conception, like at fertilization of an embryo? Does life begin when there's a heartbeat? Like when does life begin? But it's kind of like, and you can hold whatever belief you want about that. But that's also kind of, to me, neither here nor there, because your belief of that doesn't control my body.
3: Absolutely. Well, because we've had historically valued the separation of church and state, Yep. right? So we have seen that second opinion come down from the Supreme court this week today that essentially is beginning to dismantle the separation of church and state. So when someone's morality and someone's religious opinion begins to inform our legal system, when we have a tradition of separation of church and state, that's where I get really, really worried, yeah. right? So, you like you said, if you don't think abortion is right, then don't get one. Make that decision for yourself. But I don't think, you know, to leave it to the states and not have it federally protected is hugely problematic because, as we've seen, half of our states have decided okay, cool. Now we can go back and do what we want to do with, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of the memes about what does this mean for IVF? What does this mean for ectopic pregnancies? What does it mean for miscarriages? And are they going to be charged with a crime? What does it mean for abortion providers who provide abortions for things that are much, much more than just an unintended pregnancy? It's those anomalies that you talked about, Right. There's a multitude of reasons. And to not have exemptions for rape and incest, all those things are really just cruel and unusual punishments mm-hmm. against women. Power. And as we know, per- particularly uh, exponentially more so for women of color. I
2: think that's the other thing too, which people really, you know, who aren't in the position that we are, where we're working directly with patients who may be in these, just in these, you know, that time it's you just don't realize how complex it is. Pregnancy is very complex. Uh, just the amount of things that we see in in this, you know, realm is it would m- blow people's minds. And I just don't think people understand. I w- maybe to start also to understand from your um, standpoint a little bit more about abortions and maybe some statistics on that and understanding the root of of that as well. That might be a good to understand
1: we love a hydrated queen let's get it stay hydrated it is summer drink your water people (laughs) and if you're not drinking out of a hydro drug what are you doing with your life because they hold a half gallon of water Mm -hmm. they are the best insulated water bottle on the market they have a leak-proof seal three options glass stainless steel or bpa free a wide mouth opening so you can add ice fruit whatever you need and then the handle makes it easy to carry around your work,
2: the gym, wherever. Not to mention they have 40 different color combinations and patterns. They are fashionable and eco-friendly. You have the cute sleeves that can make it even cuter when you're carrying it into work. This is just really great for all of our healthcare providers out there and to stay hydrated on those long shifts. especially shift workers who don't have time to keep refilling. Absolutely. Get and your you water in. Head over to thehydrodog.com and use code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E, to get 10% off of your order today. Again, head over to thehydrodog.com, use code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E, and get 10% off and get hydrated. We love that for you. Do it.
3: <laughs> Back to the show. Yeah. I think when we start looking at mortality rates, we start looking at um, abortion stats, right? And we start saying, "Okay, we've got a huge, we've got a huge dynamic going on here." So, um, over fifty-seven percent of women who are—this is all from the CDC—are are in their twenties when they get an abortion. Thirty-one uh, percent are in their thirties, right? So, pretty average family time. Age, right? Most women are starting families around that age. 9% are teens and 4% are women in their 40s. We have 85% of women seeking abortions are unmarried and 15% are married. I was in that category of married and had an unintended pregnancy while on birth control um, and chose an abortion for myself. And that was something my husband and I decided, and it wasn't something we did lightly. Um, by race, we see that 38% are non-Hispanic black, uh, 33% are white, 21% are Hispanic, and 7% are other. Um, and what's interesting is the vast majority of people who end up with an unintended pregnancy have utilized some kind of birth control. Also, a vast majority of them have had one or possibly two or possibly three children already only 40% of women seeking abortions have never had a baby. So, you know, it's it's not women who are not familiar with motherhood in general who are having these abortions. They're quite familiar with them. Um the vast majority of all abortions, about 93% of them are done by 13 weeks That's what gestation. I was ask. So this That's is when you have big, yeah. yeah, you have a you have a fetus that is 2 inches long and weighs 18 grams. And 18 grams. If any of you are tracking your macros, you know 18 grams is like nothing. It's a <laughs> tablespoon of two. You know, that I eat. it's not a whole. Yeah, it's a couple of gummy bears, man. So, you know, it's a it's a teeny little fetus. And then six percent. So you've got 93 percent are done by the time it it is not some you know late term abortion happening. Six percent are done between 14 and Which 20 is weeks. Still not viable as a NICU after. nurse.
1: 20 weeks. No, I no, the it is youngest, not You've seen them at 20 well, weeks not it's survive. Not, We've yeah, seen no. delivered at 20 weeks and that's not Oh, 20, we, we don't resuscitate even. The nice. the smallest and earliest gestation that I've seen as a NICU nurse is a 22 weeker and they did not survive. Yeah. There have been a few cases in the country of 22 weekers which it's not that have survived but that's also a questionable dates sometimes yeah. because to tell the difference between a 22 and 20 like we also have gone to deliveries for a 23 weeker and we get to the delivery and we're like your dates are off That's not a 23 weeker that's not that's not viable still. Um, you know, it's yeah. you, dates are not perfect unless you've done IVF or whatever. So even sometimes a 23 yeah. weeker that we think we're delivering isn't necessarily or we've had a twenty two, but they've actually done a little bit better. So we're like maybe they really were more like twenty-three weeks along and so on and so forth. But yeah I historically 22 weekers don't survive. There's Viability a I'll say in the NICU, <laughs> it's a big issue for yeah. us, right? Like that's
2: something that we, we do face and it's yeah. very complex. It's a very, very complex part of what we do. Um, and then can you speak to yeah. a little bit too, cause I'm just curious about this for late term abortions, maybe a little bit of touching on that and understanding.
3: So generally only 1% would be in the category. Anything over 20 weeks is late term abortion. Most of the time, this is, caused by, they're they're done for. Uh, mother's health, right? Mom is dying. There's a placental abruption. There is uh, some sort of fetal anomaly that's happening. So it's not just shits and giggles. Hey, you know what? I've decided 21 weeks in, I just don't want to be pregnant anymore. This is not a convenient thing for me. That's not why women are having late-term abortions. So generally speaking, they're to save the mom's life, or in the case of plenty of the, the NICU deliveries you've seen, they are not viable babies. And so what this law will do is those women who have unviable babies or have some sort of threat to their health, and they live in states that make no exemptions for the mother's health, they will die. And we will see mortality rates skyrocket even higher than they are. I think we're like, we are really low on the, we do not no, do great do not. in this it's country absolutely for Honestly,
1: wealth. horrifically embarrassing.
3: It's, it's abysmal. It's embarrassing. And, you know, more importantly than that, it isn't spread equally amongst yeah. people, right? So take a guess as to who has the highest rates of mortality rate. It's black women
1: and the states that have the trigger laws for abortions are the states that have the highest black women more the yeah. maternal mortality rates
3: mortality rates so i did a little um, a little side by side comparison today and louisiana has the highest per capita 58 women per 100k are dying oh my dying god are you serious um, and yeah 58 now Overall, over across the country, Black women, um, their rate is about 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. And so in a state like Arizona, who also had a pre-row ban that is going back into effect, their rate is 27.3 per general population. But we see across the country that Black women have the highest mortality rates. Now, there is also the disturbing fact that the number one cause of death of pregnant women is domestic violence.
2: I was about to ask you why, like, why is this happening? And you know, maybe some, yeah. So
3: you're, you're in a very vulnerable position when you're pregnant, right? And it is a very stressful time for um, domestic partners in general. And so when you have men who don't want the pregnancy, they will often resort to violence or they're living in violent situations already with their abuser, this will get worse if Roe remains the way it is, if it stays overturned and these abortion bans stay intact, right? We will expect a higher, you know, a 21% jump, according to the Gutmaker, Gutmacher Institute, in mortality rate. So we're going to go from that, you know, 50 three in, in Louisiana, where they have a total ban. And I will expect that to jump up a significant amount. So it's a frightening, and there's, there's a whole lot of reasons that we can explain um, the mortality rate in this country. A lot of it has to do with lack of access to, um, to prenatal care, to uh, midwives, to healthcare care. Right. In general, it's quite expensive to deliver a baby in this country. Yeah, it is. What do you know? So we don't have universal health care. We don't have universal child care. And so it's a really stressful time. And a lot of people don't have access to the to the things that they need to have a healthy pregnancy and a successful birth.
1: Even touching on the fact that you said it's really expensive to have a baby in this country. My best friend she has a two-month-old right now and she just told me her hospital bill and she has full insurance full coverage to deliver a healthy normal pregnancy vaginal delivery she only stayed in the hospital one night because the baby was born in the morning so like she was discharged the next day so about as oh no epidural either no epidural so that's about as easy as the straightforward as it gets and her hospital bill is six thousand dollars and it wow. makes me, yeah, and she, again, has insurance. Um, So this kind of leads me to the point of where we just said 1% are late-term abortions, which, one, I think a lot of people on the internet use scare tactics to post a picture of a fetus, and it's like, that's not a first trimester or even a second trimester. Like, you guys post these pictures, and it's like, that's not the case but anyways again Tori and I coming from a NICU perspective have taken care of babies that are born with anencephaly who are born and uh, cannot live other certain trisomies other babies that have been born with other we've seen ever we work at a level four very high level NICU we have seen every sort of congenital anomaly and defect that is not compatible with life and we've been there when these babies have taken their first and only couple breaths and parents have to go through that but the trauma of being finding out at your anatomy scan that you have a baby with anencephaly has no brain will not live that you have to now finish carrying them for the next 20 weeks deliver them to watch them die in your arms That's and gross. then be hit with a fucking giant ass hospital bill Yeah. On top of that, that might even send you into debt or bank or whatever just to deliver your dead baby is like traumatic. Mm -hmm. That is traumatizing. Yeah.
3: And I think that's one of those things that as sociologists, we we look at the trauma that this is going to cause Um, women, families, people with uteruses like this is going to get bad. And, you know, you and I are in uh, states that it's still legal, right? You're in a in a safe haven state. Um, But there are 25 states out there that don't have what we have. I was
2: just right? going to ask what so, do you know which states or like have an idea
0: yeah maybe a little bit more about that too because I'm really. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the hefty renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate simply fill up an orange hefty renew bag with accepted items tie it up and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Curious.
3: Yeah, there is a group of states that had laws on the books um, before Roe, right? Those will jump back into effect. They had anti-abortion laws. So um, Michigan, Arizona, those are kind of two that are going back to their old ones and right now um some of those are getting kind of like blocked in the courts because they're unsure it's more about like the clarity in the law isn't isn't there so they're trying to figure that out um there are some states that have 6 week bans in play and as we know most women don't find out that no they're idea. pregnant nope, nope. yeah nope. and S- south carolina georgia they have really high um mortality rates and they have those 6 week bans going Right. So we see this kind of like it's a Venn diagram. It's a circle of the places that are banning it completely. We've got Wisconsin, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, um, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, as we know, with with Abbott, um, Oklahoma, Alabama. Basically, you have Florida down here in the in the west, in the in the east, southeast as the lone state who's everywhere else is like the northern seaboard right? We're all alone down here in Florida. So we're going to kind of become that safe haven. The West coast of California is obviously uh, pretty liberal with Oregon and Washington still continuing, even Montana. So it's a, it's a hot mess. Um, And I think it will only get worse. So I know that they're asking some governors, Hey, are you going to actually prosecute? But you know, even if you're in a state where your governor says on TV, no, We're not going to prosecute anybody who helps somebody get uh, obtain an abortion. Are you going to know that? Are you going to trust that? Mm -hmm. You know, he's not that governor is not going to come help you if you get in trouble. So I think, um, you know, right now people are really grabbing up um, managed abortion pills, grabbing. I know I sent my daughter to college with a six pack of Plan B for anybody who might need it. And that was two years ago, you know, and I'll just keep funding her with that to distribute as needed. I just reached out to get some uh, abortion pills to have on hand in case I know anybody who needs them in another state. I can happily mail them or bring them or whatever, but there's going to be a lot of trauma. And think about 11 and 12 year old girls who are being abused, who are victims of domestic violence, incest, rape, and they don't know anything about pregnancy. We don't allow them to, you know, buy cigarettes, alcohol, anything like that, drive, vote, but we'll we'll force you to have a baby. The trauma in a, in a system that has crappy mental health care as it is, is going to be
1: overwhelming. Absolutely. Well, you can't go adopt a child at 12 years old, but you can be forced no, to birth can't. one and raise them. I Maybe diving into that a little bit
2: too, from a socioeconomic standpoint- what do you think the tri- trickle-down effect,
3: what is, what is this going to do? So we already see that, you know, when I ask the class and we get into, you know, socioeconomics and and healthcare, we know the healthcare is for people who can afford it because we don't have universal healthcare. So having the marketplace in Obamacare has helped people who couldn't afford healthcare before get it, but it's still not um, – It's not free and it's not always cheap and it's hard to navigate, right? Um, Because our medical system is complicated. And if you can't be an advocate and you don't know how to advocate for yourself, as you guys discussed with um, your other podcasts, the people who can afford it and have the social capital to know how to kind of manage it and manage their care will have access to better care. And so the, what we see will only be exacerbated that, lower-income folks will remain uninsured or underinsured. They will continue to experience cuts for Medicare Medicaid, and they will see the marketplace become even less accessible to them. And birth control is probably going to become less accessible to them as well. We already know there's no sex ed program that is efficient and effective and widespread. It really depends on where you live and what you know. Um,
1: Well, the amount of people that always work, so they're cheap. Well, the amount of people I've been seeing that are like, you need to be responsible, don't have... Like, you know, having sex makes a baby, use birth control, use condoms. In a state that doesn't even provide sex education, you want to educate these teenagers or you want to tell these teenagers to be responsible, but then you don't even provide education in the public schools about sex. It's... I want to scream. And I mean, if you... (laughs) Yeah. If you go back to my stats,
3: it's mostly women in their 20s and 30s who are having unintended pregnancies. Do people actually think that they don't understand how to try not to get pregnant? Like, believe me, they're on birth control. They are trying. Condoms are breaking. Birth control is failing or unavailable. Right. And there are a lot of partners and a lot of spouses and a lot of boyfriends out there that don't take no Mm -hmm. for an answer. There's a lot of coercion, sexual coercion and abuse going on. Those women are not allowed due to religious reasons to be on birth control. Mm -hmm. And there's a thing called stealthing where men are taking off condoms unbeknownst to women. You know, we've actually made a term for that. That's happening to tons of women in their 20s and 30s. So, you know, it's not just like, oh, we don't know. It's that, oh, we know and we're trying. So both things can happen, right? Mm -hmm. Both things are happening. It's not an either-or situation. But that's not the answer. Oh, just be more careful. Okay, I could be as careful as I want. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have a fetus that I don't want or with an anomaly or that I wasn't abused or raped or violated.
1: Well, I think the word coercion, too, was a big one because Mm – That is so, I think, what is it like one in three women have been sexually assaulted, but I don't even think there's a way to measure coercion that happens because I don't think I can think of one woman who hasn't been pressured in a sexual situation. So maybe they didn't explicitly say no or et cetera, et cetera, but I don't even think that we touch on coercion enough. No. No. No, we
3: don't. I mean, tons of people in relationships, long-term relationships, are like, if I don't, if if we don't have sex tonight, he's just going to be mad and grumpy, and I just want to, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat. So, okay, I'll just have sex with him. And it's not this enthusiastic consent. It's also not a no, mm-hmm. right? So there's a certain amount of coercion and and um, compromise that goes in, and and we really don't talk too much about that. But I'm sure most women can go, oh yeah. I've done it when I didn't want to, you know, mm-hmm. and I really didn't want to. I kind of said I didn't want to. And he was like, oh, I know we're going to get in a fight over it. So I just want to smooth things over. So how do you smooth it over? You have sex with him, mm-hmm. even though you don't want to. I've done that. So the levels of coercion are huge. And, you know, if, if he can coerce you into that, he can coerce you into not using a condom. And if you say no, we all know what happens to women who say no. Men don't always shock her. News alert, news flash: men don't always take a no very well, and they can become violent. So sometimes women are in a situation where it's the lesser of two evils is to just go ahead and have sex with him and hope that you don't get pregnant.
1: And what's so interesting about these laws are like women can be held legally responsible for having an abortion if it's banned in their state. The health providers can, but like Tori just said, what about the men? Yeah.
2: Where's the re- that's, that's also probably for me, one of the biggest issues I have is where's the accountability for the men? We're just punishing women left and right. And I just, I don't understand why it's on us to have all of that responsibility and to have all of this, you know, you're physically going through this you're mentally going through this, but what, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand, you know, where's the accountability for men? Well, why aren't we talking about that?
1: Can I also just touch on a point of, not all abortions are because women want them either. Like, mm-hmm. there are women that have been forced to have abortions because their partner was cheating on their spouse, or doesn't want to be responsible for this child, or because of their status or position in power, or whatever they do with their career, etc. Doesn't want to be linked to this child or to this partner, and have. Women have had abortions that are also not their choice, too. And maybe they wanted to keep the baby. So we're just making it sound like, oh, these whores out here just don't want to be responsible for kids. There's also, on the flip side, women that have been forced to have abortions that they...
2: Or women who, you know,
1: are unable to afford it you know I mean like look at this Mm -hmm.
2: right now we have a formula shortage like what is we can't you're gonna be forced to have a child that you potentially can't even feed if you're someone that needs to go back to work and we also don't want to provide school lunches and we don't want to provide any daycare and you know what the irony is I feel like a lot of people also assume that so many of these women or the you know are having these children and the assumption is is that you're not working hard or you're not you know somehow this is your fault and I just, mm-hmm. it's absolutely asinine. I can't think about the amount of women that are working, you know, these jobs where they're barely making hourly wage. And we don't
1: want to raise the minimum wage in this mm-hmm. country. We sit there and say minimum no. wage is like from what I hear when people's argument is minimum wage isn't meant to be a livable wage. It's like, okay.
3: <laughs> what are you supposed to do while you're making it not live
2: yeah but, but then you want to have all these kids and you want everyone to have all these children and like, then you want to talk don't have re- about
1: people just living off the state living off of welfare mm, it's having these welfare babies but then you're forcing them to now, it's like yep, absurd
2: like watch watch that is going to be a big issue now too. watch you know women who yeah. can't afford it who would have chosen otherwise Whatever their situation may be, and that's a and again because for maybe like you said,
1: most of these women, sixty percent, have other children, and sometimes yes. they're realizing the two children I have living currently, I cannot provide for the kids I currently have. If I bring another child into this earth and they're making what's best for their current children and their current family. And same thing. We kind of talked about this offline. If you had a boat that was sinking and it had an ice chest full of a hundred frozen embryos in one ice chest, and then you had your living human child sitting in the boat and it's sinking. Are you going to save the ice chest full of a hundred embryos, which are life, or are you going to choose the one child? Which one are you going to choose to save? Everyone is going to choose we all the know child. know the answer
3: to that. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see an uptick in unpaid child support. We'll see an uptick in need for WIC, for Medicaid, for Medicare, yeah. and we'll see an uptick in in the GOP not wanting to fund those social services. So, for a social democracy, you know, we sure are doing a pretty piss poor job and
1: no paid family leave it's like you want to force someone to have this child and then send them back to work four weeks after their vaginal delivery when they're still breastfeeding but there's a formula shortage and then tell them that their minimum wage job shouldn't be a livable wage are we seriously calling ourselves a developed country at this point yeah it's pathetic and
3: god forbid you nurse in public too yeah don't forget that (laughs) part
1: so i mean and then tori and i are big on saying that Abortion is healthcare, and it's not a women's rights issue. It's not even necessarily just a reproductive rights issue. It's a human rights issue because it impacts so yes. many other other areas. So I kind of want to even get into the different populations that it affects, like the LGBTQ plus community, how it impacts them, people with disabilities.
3: Yeah, you have marginalized communities that are only going to be further marginalized right? So most of our healthcare is set up for heteronormativity, right? You go to your provider, you go to your OBGYN, they ask you how many partners you've had. If you are gay or you are trans, your answer might be different, right? And they're not really handing out pamphlets that are relevant to you for as far as information goes. You might not feel comfortable because of your own provider's implicit bias that they've they've made known if you mention that you're gay, and they give you a look. Are you going to continue to be vulnerable and open up or are you going to kind of shove that all down? And then your healthcare options will not be fantastic because you haven't really disclosed enough information to your provider um, because they haven't made you feel comfortable to do so. So these communities that are already vulnerable will find themselves in dire straits. So if you are disabled and you have to travel extreme distances to find any sort of accessible abortion services, that is really, really hard to do if you are disabled, right? If you are trans and you are, live in a safe that, a place that you're kind of quietly living a safe life as much as you can and you have to go to another place, you risk being exposed in ways that are very life-threatening. Right. So we already see depression rates and suicide rates are higher for those marginalized groups. Those will also spike.
2: Do you have any um, I know there's obviously a ton of resources out there, but do you from your opinion, are there any really good credible ones for someone? I mean, you know, someone seeking an abortion or if someone knows somebody that might or if they're looking for good resources, what do you um, turning to-
3: I have been kind of saving a few that I've been finding on Instagram, where they are talking about um, how to kind of seek out certain things. And I might just have to send you a couple of them because there's a few different sites. Um, there are ones to find funding for abortions. Um, There are certain pages that are helping women uh, access abortions by mail and how to get that information. Um, Mayday.health is a good one for that. Um, Let's see. I'll have to see if I could find, like, I might have to send you a good list of them. What you don't want, there's a lot of um, people on TikTok, on Instagram, on private accounts who are saying, hey, let me know and I'll help you. I don't want to trust that because they could be trying to guide you into some pro-life religious services as well. So you are better off sticking with anything that is a .org, um, an edu, a CDC website. Um, the world health organization is very pro, um, pro choice. So they're going to have some, uh, information as well um but abortion and Planned Parenthood is probably right now the best place for people to be going they will have connections and links to everywhere and they understand what laws are going on because they are fighting them in every state um but I would stick to kind of above board chat groups rather than personal ones because that could also legally come
1: back to bite you too because they could use those conversations to like
3: yeah. Not only could they you could be, be trying to entrap you in yeah. writing.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Always. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe phone calls are better right now. Um, it's sad that we have to, you know, I, I've seen some stuff that is like, I will proudly aid and abet you. And so those people are kind of sticking their ne- necks out on the line to help. And, and I'm one of those people. Um, but as far as trying to find an organization, I would start with the dot orgs and I would start with Planned Parenthood and kind of stay safe.
1: It's crazy that like, think about even just <laughs> prohibition in the 20s and people running underground alcohol rings like we're literally mm-hmm. back to that sort of mindset and mentality just for healthcare services yeah. it's blowing my mind a little bit i know
3: it is
2: what do you think i mean i'm just as a general thought what do you think this means for the future of healthcare or yeah. What do you think?
3: In one way, I'm optimistic because the sheer volume of people, I think the last stat I saw was like 80% support Roe v. Wade staying intact, right? The fact that we have had this religious extremist court do otherwise is shocking. But the momentum of the country is there. And if you're seeing these protests, I think, to be honest, white women are finally waking up to the fact that their rights are being trampled on in a way that non-white women, people of color have known all too well for decades and decades and decades, right? The healthcare system has treaded on them quite heavily. You know, we, we have plenty of instances of understanding how that has been our history. So I think to see white women kind of finally wake up, um, and maybe get vocal. I think we could be good allies. I think it's better late than never, to be honest. But it took something this frightening to get us off our asses, and I'm glad to see it. Uh, I wish it would have taken something less than less extreme than this, but I am hopeful that we will create that that underground railroad if needed. You know, we will we will learn how to manage our own abortions. As frightening as that is, we will do managed care. A lot of ours are already, we've been doing that for a long time. You know, that's the medical abortion pills are not new, but they will become more of our primary go-to in those 25 states that don't have access.
1: What advice do you have? Because a lot of our audience are either like newer to healthcare or even wanting to go into the healthcare field. What advice do you have for all these new or future providers just regarding a lot of these inequalities we've discussed and regarding even just this overturned ruling.
3: I really urge all of you who are entering the field and you haven't kind of come to that jaded place that we all get to (laughs) when we work in a profession. (laughs) I, um, recognize your privilege, uh, educate yourself on what intersectionality is and really try to meet your patients where they're at. Um, leave your bias behind. Um, there's a great documentary called bias that was put out in 19 in 2020. And it really helps you to go, Oh shit, what are my biases? What am I, where's my baggage that I'm bringing to this patient? Cause you know what? That patient does not need your bias. They don't, they need your empathy. They need your care and they need your transparency. And so to, to do that and really think about where they're coming at and trying to understand, you know, you might go, I would never have done that. I take my blood pressure medication. I use my birth control, whatever it is, right? Good for you. No one cares, right? <laughs> so work work on your empathy, understand your privilege and check it and kind of learn to understand um, intersectionality.
1: I love that. Yeah. I wish that... I was like still currently teaching, so I could just play that clip at the start of every class. Yeah,
2: (laughs) I think it's also I don't know for me like a big piece of this is coming in very humble. Like this could be me. It could be me that is in that.
1: You think something will never happen to you until it does. Until it does.
2: Yep.
3: Mm -hmm. I'm not a religious person, but I love the the saying "There but for the grace of God go I." Right. Like, and if if you are religious remember that if you're not still use it, you know, there, you know, it could be you in that bed.
1: I was arguing with someone who's actually a friend and it was like really frustrating to me because we were arguing on Friday about the Roe v. Wade stuff. And over the whole, like it was about a percent. it was basically saying that a small percentage of abortions are due to like healthcare reasons or sexual assault or whatever. And it was like, One, I don't think that those numbers are even truly accurate. It's very hard Mm -hmm. to sit there and get accurate reporting on a lot of that stuff. But that's, again, neither here nor there. But my whole point was, okay, so just because you're saying that those are maybe not the majority, then you're still just telling those people sucks for you. Like, yeah, the majority of abortions aren't due to rape but sucks mm-hmm. for you until what, until it's your sister or your daughter or your whatever loved one. But I just to sit there and have that sort of mindset of like, well, those are the minority. Okay. But there's still people. Well, and, and
2: also yeah. the trickle down effect of that,
1: how is that going to
2: affect mm-hmm. that person's life mm-hmm. and down the road and that child as well. And the irony about this whole mm-hmm. situation. And you know, we've talked about this too, is, the adoption process, that is uh, is horrible. I mean, the we could probably have you on and do a whole episode
1: about fostering it's like, and adoption it, and yeah. Yeah. the and sociology behind all that. This is
2: just, you know, the trickle-down effect. And that's what people don't think about. It's not even, like, the pregnancy in itself is literally a blip in the radar on mm-hmm. that child and mm-hmm. that woman's life. Mm-hmm. So... Stop the the bias drives me nuts. You don't know how it's going to affect that person. You have no idea. You are not in their shoes. I don't know. And just as healthcare providers, I hope you know today. Uh, for me, I feel like what I think is this is a great conversation to start understanding more and to really, you know, understand in the medical frame of work that this is between a patient and a provider. And it this is really actually about privacy. Yeah. You know, we talked about that. This particular. Mm-hmm law and what it was intended for is privacy it's between
3: a provider Mm -hmm. and a patient and at the end of the day why a woman chooses to terminate a pregnancy Mm -hmm. is absolutely zero percent of your business zero i don't care if you're if you're her nurse if you're her doctor Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you guys have discussed what's best what she wants that's it she decides it that's it. I don't want to have any sort of waiting periods. I don't want to have any sort of permission from a husband or a parent yeah. or any of those things. It is her personal decision. And so your approval is unnecessary. Your understanding is required. Yeah. Right. Understand it. It's not your business. You don't need to judge it. You don't need to approve it. You just need to get out of the way.
1: And I think it comes down to how we kicked off the show with bodily autonomy. Like how. Yeah fetuses have more rights than any living or even dead human being so I don't if you want to give them rights that's fine but they don't have more rights than a living human being that's mm-hmm. crazy uh, my brain's know. starting yeah, to melt absolutely this has been a <laughs> I don't know I'm just glad we were able to have you it's today a heavy one. dive into that because it is heavy but it it's something Tori and I really want to talk about Passionate. but it's nice to have someone to help us kind of navigate some of these avenues of it because it's absolutely it's deep.
2: Do you have any good, any podcasts or like resources or books or Netflix that you really like that might help even further understanding? And
3: um, There's a few that I like as far as kind of under more, more about understanding intersectionality and the way that socioeconomics kind of impacts. It's, it's more about that trickle down idea so for the nurses, watch that show, that documentary Bias. Um, if you want to read about kind of our our prison system, which is now becoming where mental health care is being done, which is really sad. Um, Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow is a fantastic book. Um, Watching the 13th on Netflix, which is a 2016 film um, all about the war on drugs. And obviously a lot of your nurses are going to be dealing with with drugs and drug abuse. Um, If they work anywhere with prisoners, they're going to be dealing with that. So they should kind of understand the political and the social impact of the war on drugs. Um, There's a show on Netflix called Explained which jumps around from topic to topic, but I find it super interesting little blurbs that when your brain can only handle 20 minutes of information, go look up a subject that you want to learn a little bit more about. And that kind of gets the ball rolling for people where it's, you know, there's one on wealth inequalities that will definitely help you understand and relate that back to healthcare and why maybe your patients are not cooperative or, they don't do the things you tell them to do, right? They don't follow through on drugs. They don't follow through on their healthcare. Those wealth inequalities are really feeding that kind of behavioral thing that you're seeing. So I love Explain on Netflix just because I know your brains have to be exhausted. You know, you're trying to do better and be better, but you're also tired. So and try and have little bites and pieces that people can kind of learn a little bit more on um but i i love those documentaries Absolutely. for sure i love explained yeah where can everybody find you can anyone also
2: like your class can anyone take your class or do they have to what's the uh
3: Um, I imagine somebody could audit it if they wanted to, to get at me, I can figure out how that works. I am currently going to be, like I said, at Rollins college, which is a private university, but you know, I don't mind streaming things or sharing syllabi or anything like that. So if they want a reading list, um, but you can find me on Instagram. I'm uh, at J O E I S dot 73 so joeice.73 um it's a private Great one so resource. you just have to dm me and I'll, I'll i'll find you but yeah i tend to post a lot of stuff there um otherwise you could hit me up at at rollins and i'll have my email available for you guys too awesome.
1: thank you so much for diving yeah. in with thank us. You. we really appreciate you being here yeah thank you i'm glad we
3: actually had a couple days between now and friday because i think i'd have just been on here crying and been really upset and Same. i had a couple days to get my get my head together and pull it together joanna <sighs> get your stuff together
1: we got a fight ahead of us yep, so we do.
3: we've yeah
1: gotta buckle up yep absolutely
3: yep buckle up it's gonna get rocky thank so. you so much joanna. You. we
2: appreciate your time
1: that was a little bit of a heavy one, but I'm glad that we were able to actually have on an expert where we are looking at it, not just from a provider perspective, but just on a grand larger scale from a sociological perspective.
2: Yeah. I think the whole, we need the whole picture and bird's eye view on this and really understanding and getting to the root of things. And I think, you know, for all of us here in the selfie community, you know, we obviously want, we want better. We want to keep pushing the needle forward and understanding and, You know, um, we love you guys. We are going to, as always, leave all the, um, the, what are you, (laughs) my brain's not working. Resources. Uh, Resources. Links there in the, in the bio or not in the bio, in the show notes, you guys. Um, And thank you so much, you guys, for listening. As always, make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all of the goodies there linked for a bio, all of our supporting partners and discounts
1: for you, of course. And again, thank you always for leaving reviews. We appreciate it. If you leave your Instagram handle in a review, we will send you our new little swag bags full of stickers, pins, other goodies, goodies. coming your way. So mm. Apple podcast, leave your IG handle five stars on Spotify. Yeah. Thank you for supporting the show. And like she mentioned, all our links are in the bio, including our Bali trip and Iceland trip. Woo-hoo! So can't wait to see you there. And make sure you're following us on our Insta. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey, Samantha with two A's, and we have a little more lighthearted bonus episode this week. Yeah, so stay tuned.
2: All right, you guys, bye bye.